Our flagship investment strategy, Sunrise Evolution, it's a symphony. And the symphony only sounds good over the course of the entire concert when all the instruments are playing their roles. And, you know, there are some times when the violins stop playing for a while, and that's okay because, you know, this is a this is a time in the in the piece where the woodwinds or the horns are, are being emphasized. And that's fine, and that's what happened last year. This is Jason Gerlach, CEO of Sunrise Capital Partners. You're listening to my year in review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Before we begin today's conversation, remember to keep two things in mind. All the discussion we'll have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their product before you make investment decisions. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Well, first of all, Jason, I want to welcome you back to the podcast for this uh, review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategy. I want to explore both the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaways uh, from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general. And in fact, it's the 11th year since 1990, where we saw double digit return for the BTOP50 index, which tracks many of the largest CTAs in the world. But before we start, I want to acknowledge you in particular for being my first guest on the podcast. And who would have thought back in the summer where the environment was very different for these strategies. And now we sit here and, and uh, you know, we had half a million downloads last month in December. So it's very fitting for me, at least, that you are also the first one to come back and speak uh, about this uh, series of 2014 reviews. Um, which, of course, we'll try and get out in the first month of 2015. Niels, thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations on the success of your podcast. It was a great concept, and you've delivered on the concept in spades. Um, and uh, it's been a great thing for the industry and a great thing for Sunrise. And it's my pleasure to be here, as always. I appreciate that. Now, first point I wanted to talk about you, just from a broad perspective, Talk to me about 2014. How did the year evolve for, for you guys? Well, as you correctly referenced, 2014 was, was a great year for systematic traders, generally speaking. The best year we've seen in at least five, if not more. Um, volatility was back with a vengeance in many markets. Um, there was obviously a lot of divergent uh, activity in markets. Uh, you know, markets decoupled. Uh, from a correlation perspective for the first time in, in many years. The risk-on, risk-off paradigm seemed to kind of crumble at times, although occasionally it would rear its head again. So it was, it was a very different year than we've seen uh, in quite a while. And for that reason, it was, it was uh, one that uh, was good to most systematic approaches. Not all, but most. And we ended up having a, you know, a very solid year across our entire product platform. So, so we're pleased, obviously, and our investors appear to be pleased as well. 
Absolutely. Uh, if you look at the uh, sort of contributors uh, to the performance in 2014, both on the sort of the upside and the downside, which market stood out for you? Well, you know, as, as you know, we offer we have several offerings. I'm going to focus for now on our flagship, which is Sunrise Evolution. That is a strategy that we launched in June of 1980, if you can believe that. So it just finished its 35th year of investing and its um, 30th profitable year out of 35 years of investing. Yeah, so congratulations quite, quite on that. I'm proud of it. Thank you very much. What were the drivers? From a sector perspective, you know, the best sectors for us for the year were certainly energies um, and equities. Okay. Um, that is where we found the most, our systems found the most opportunity. Energy, the story is, is, is pretty clear. You know, I think most people listening to this can, can understand what happened. We saw basically a complete collapse of pricing in the energy complex across the board. Um, this is one of the, the, the largest down moves we've seen in, in the energy market in, in, in years, if not ever. And um, if you're trend following and you don't capture a, a nice profit from this, you probably shouldn't be in the business. <laughs> um, you know, not to say there weren't some interruptions and some fits and starts. Every trend has its own unique attributes. But for our systems, it was a great match. So energies was a great place to be, particularly the second half of the year as the market, you know, as the trend really accelerated and, and kind of, uh, you know, took a lot of, you know, cousin markets with it. Uh, sure. you know, food, gas oil. Uh, heating oil, uh, you know, Brent, um, you know, even even Nat Gas joined the energy collapse party, which was interesting. For, sure. for a long time, we've been seeing Nat Gas kind of do the exact opposite. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, eventually, you know, it energy caught caught uh, the flu, and, and Nat Gas caught a cold, and, and kind of followed suit. So that was a great sector. It was a great sector. Secondarily, as I said, was the equity sector, which which it for for us, interestingly, was kind of a tale of 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 two um, two stories because we invest in equities kind of uniquely. Uh, we we have exposure in the global equity futures markets as we always have for the past thirty plus years. Sure, and that was tricky trading. There, there was a lot of ups and downs and whipping, as, as everyone knows, in global equity markets. October is a great example of it. Yeah. You know, the intra-month volatility in October was unprecedented. In fact, um, we charted it, and we don't recall a month with as much intra-month uh, volatility as that one. Right. Equities, as you recall, came out strong, collapsed by mid-month, but by the end of the month had basically rallied back yeah. to new highs. Um, that kind of intra-month volatility can be very hard on long-term trend-following approaches, and it was hard on ours. Yeah. The good news is we had some shorter term approaches in our in our bag of tricks that actually handled those uh, issues fairly well, mm. fairly well. But overall, our futures trading in equities didn't uh, produce that much for us for the year. In fact, we lost money there. However, as I think I explained to you uh, when we, you launched your series, we have another bucket where we invest in equities using a different set of mod models that are a little more tactical, a little more long-term, generally trend-oriented, and they focus on the U.S. sector only. And as you know, the U.S. markets had a great year overall, although sure. it had a lot of volatility in it. Yep. And there, we were very successful. Okay. And our gains there you know, easily outweighed the losses we suffered on the future side and made for a profitable equity year for us. So that was something we were you know, quite pleased with. Sure. And then also, and I probably gave this short shrift when I said, you know, equities and, and um, 
and uh, yeah. energies yeah. were the place where we made profits. Currencies were also outstanding. Yeah, um, I, I neglected really to, to mention that. That was just an oversight on my part. Currencies was was an outstanding place to be this year for the first time in many years. <laughs> as, as my fellow traders, I'm sure, will understand. Yeah, uh, currencies have kind of been stuck in this range forever and just been grinding up and down just enough to really create havoc for currency traders worldwide. That ended in 2014 with a bang. Uh, we saw massive moves, as you know, um, in markets all around the globe. Uh, you know, the, the yen was very a very good place to trade. Uh, this year, um, all of the European currencies we found were great places to trade, uh, minors and majors. Yeah. Uh, we really had uh, an outstanding uh, year across the currency complex, and that um, that you know echoes the point you made, which is volatility return. Market started to decouple. You know, market started to run free again a bit. It really <laughs> felt like almost horses being released from a from a uh, you know from a pen. And allowed to kind of run out in the fields. Yeah. And when that happens, systems like ours, systems like those of a lot of the people on this podcast, uh, will really thrive. And that's what happened for us. Sure. So really, it was a story of currencies, energies, and equities for us. We picked up some pips and bips, you know, elsewhere. Um, ags, there were some nice moves, um, and we and we were profitable in the agricultural sector. Uh, for sure, and we were profitable in the interest rate sector for the year as well. Sure, bonds didn't do a ton, but they did enough to give us some juice. So overall, it was it was a nicely well balanced year, and and I think for us the the key was diversification as always. Yeah, you don't yeah. know where the opportunities are going to be, so you need a lot of markets, a lot of sectors, a lot of different models, a lot of different time frames, and a lot of different assumptions behind what you do. Very true. What was the hardest sector to trade from your point of view? All metals. 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 Yeah. Metals. Uh, were just confounding for our systems, at least. Um, you know, we didn't get hammered there, but you know, it wasn't a positive year in metals. This year, the markets were whippy. They were range bound at times. They they just did not move in sync with what we did. And ultimately, there were only a couple of markets in the sector that we were able to trade profit profitably: yeah. copper and nickel. Yeah. Uh, the rest was just you know just didn't work. Sure. But the, you know, that's our game. You, you, you never expect every sector to work out. You never expect every market to work out. You just hope that you have a system that's robust enough that it will capture opportunity where it is and that the gains there are going to outweigh the losses where opportunities you know, don't present themselves. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, you touched upon this next question a little bit already, but I just want to sort of um, ask it in a different way, because I think it is important for people to understand and realize. I mean, you mentioned that there were some big moves. We saw coffee rising 50%, oil dropping almost 50%, and other commodities also moving uh, with quite large uh, you know, amplitude. But it doesn't mean necessarily that for the trend-following models that they can capture and do well in this environment. And you mentioned equities already, that that was a difficult, uh, but equities didn't have a big move as such, uh, as sort of net-net. I was wondering, were there any markets where they actually ended up having a big move, where you found it more tricky or more difficult, and where you feel maybe we, we sh should have done it? And I, I know it's not really the right question, because trend-following is trend-following, so you can't really say we should have done better, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, there no, anything? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, look. Let me take it to a higher level. You can always look back on a year or a month or a week or a day and say, you know what, boy, I, we our systems ideally should have done this instead right. of what they did. 
Yeah. Um, regret is, you know, you get spoonfuls of it every day in this business. And the, the key is obviously not being too obsessed with any single trade or any single outcome, but sure. rather looking at the whole. What is what is occurring in your systems as a whole? And as a whole, we were very pleased with what happened this year. Yeah. Are there things, you know, we learned? You bet. Uh, January is a great example. Uh, for us and for a lot of people on, uh, in this business, January was a very challenging month. We saw a big give back of a lot of the run up in price we'd seen uh, in many markets uh, in the last quarter of 2013 in January of 2014. And we got touched up in January. It was that reversal really hit us hard. Mm. Um, some of it was just kind of the nature of long-term trends and our long-term trend following models not thriving in that area. Other factors we saw in January, for example, were things that challenged some of our shorter-term models in ways we didn't necessarily comprehend them to face challenges when we designed them. Right. And we learned from January and we actually made some micro adjustments to a couple of things in what we do based on what we saw as January unfolded because it was obvious to us, for example, that certain aspects of some of our shorter term models were doing something that just didn't make sense. Sure. And so we were able to make some slight adjustments that we think will make the systems better going forward. And that's really the Sunrise story since 1980, which is never you know let a bad trade or a drawdown or you know a, a, a bad month go by without reflecting studying and figuring out ways perhaps that you can enhance what you do you don't want to be overly reactionary by any stretch but you can always learn from trades that don't work out sometimes it's just dumb luck in the markets but sometimes you see something in what you've designed that says wait a second you know, we didn't quite calibrate this stop correctly, or we didn't quite do X, Y, Z correctly. And that, you know, January is an example of that. So I would say our biggest regret of the year, if we had one, was, you know, maybe our systems not being quite tuned how we needed them to be to deal with January better. Sure. Um, I'd say that would be the biggest kind of lost opportunity of the year. That being said, we rallied nicely throughout the rest of the year. We were able to make the money back, which is often the case in our business. And you know, live and live and let live. But Absolutely. Uh, that would be the one area I would focus on. Sure, sure. And well, that's great. And if you look at, because I know, and you mentioned this already, that you use different strategies, not just trend following strategies in your in your uh, uh, program. Were there any strategies uh, as, 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 as an overall um, point of view that that stood out uh, for, for, for you in, in your program? Well, Certainly, the, our longer-term trend-following strategies, sure. um, which have been at the core of what we've done since 1980, they had a great year. It was a great year to be a long-term trend follower. And certainly, we underperformed some managers out there who just do long-term trend Of course, sure. Uh, which is fine. You yeah. know, we, it, it's an expected outcome. Um, those models were great. Um, now, people have to remember, long-term trend-following has been in a very tricky period for the five years leading up to what we just had in 2014. So you can't have everything all the time. Sure. But our trend following systems were great. And our tact, as I mentioned, our tactical equity models were fantastic sure. because they focus on the U.S. only, because they're longer in nature, because they're very tactical. And because U.S. equities had a very solid year, we were able to capture a very good portion of that upside. So the, the, those are the highlights. Our shorter-term systems were not as dynamic or helpful um, for us in 2014 as they were in 2013. And again, that's to be expected. If you look at the 
the universe of, of systematic traders out there, the ones who purport to be shorter term in nature, were generally a little more challenged last year than the ones who purport to be longer term in nature. You never know exactly what a manager does, but you know we have a general idea of what people you know say in their marketing materials, et cetera. So I think last year, you know, the longer time frames were the were the the better time frames to be in because, as we discussed, volatility was back. We saw massive moves, like you mentioned, in oil um, and the energy complex and some of the agricultural markets, et cetera. But for us, you know, our our flagship investment strategy, Sunrise Evolution, it's a symphony, and the symphony only sounds good, on, you know, over the course of the entire concert when all the instruments are playing their roles. Sure. And, you know, there are some times when the violins stop playing for a while and that's OK, because, you know, this is a this is a time in the in the piece where the the uh, the woodwinds or the horns are, are being emphasized. And that's fine. And that's what happened last year. You know, there were there were spots when long term trend following was great for us. There was times, for example, in January when it wasn't sure. Some of our shorter term systems helped shore things up and ensure that we would have lost that we lost a lot less money in a period than we would have had we only been doing long-term trend following. So you take the good with the bad and you look at the net results. And, and as I mentioned, we had a very solid year um, and we've had a very solid 35-year run. And that's sure. really what we keep the focus on. Absolutely. I wanted to, <clears throat> I mean, you do a lot of this and, and obviously that's what we're trying to do uh, on, on the podcast as well. And that is really to educate people about, um, you know, these type of strategies and I want to try and tie it into some of the events we saw because people often remember events like, you know, what happened in Ukraine and the Russian uh, debate. And, and, and obviously oil uh, has been a big focus in, in the last few months. Is there a way without sort of going sort of too deep to try and explain or visualize to the audience how does these kind of strategies react to specific events like this because we know that often when people hear about this they think of these events as being negative for whatever they invest in but actually many of of, of our peers would would say no actually this was, was this was a positive so how do you visualize these sort of uh, uh, events uh, when you look at your strategy and your trading well you raise some really good points in that question and it's incumbent upon us to educate uh, global investors about what we do. And, and you're exactly right. The, the challenge in our business at the end of the day is that 99.9% .9 of investing is done by people who are simply buying something in the hope that it'll go up in value. Hmm. And things go up in value generally when economic times are good and things are booming. So people are inherently long the economy, they're long growth, they're long a set of circumstances that obviously we all hope as human beings are always in place. We always want things to be thriving and growing and increasing value. But as we know, you know, scientifically, it, it's that's that's is never the status quo at all times. There are there are variations in that. We have crises, we have recessions, we have events that shock things. Whether it's the Ukraine dust up with Russia or. Um, you know, the emergence of a new terror group, uh, ISIS in, in the Middle East or what have you. And so the problem most investors face is they either have to ignore those events and just hold on to their investments through the rocky times and, and, and hope that they have kind of the, the, the stomach to do that. And many investors do, but many do not. Or 
they have to rethink about how they invest and try and add things to their portfolio that might thrive in those challenging environments or at least complement what they're already doing in their portfolio, complement their portfolio, the portion of their portfolio is that, that's long the economy, that's long growth, that's, that's, that's dependent upon stability, and complement it with something that, that might move differently. And that's where we come in. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, whether you want to call us macro traders or quants or CTAs or, or what have you, tactical, you know, I've heard all kinds of names thrown out and, and the labels really don't matter. The point is our philosophy is completely different. When we set up our investment programs in 1980, we set them up so they are agnostic to what's going on in the global economy. We don't care if we're growing or not. We can thrive in a, grow, in a growth environment. We can also thrive in an environment where markets are collapsing and, and, and many things in between. We're agnostic. And the, the point of what we do is not that it's necessarily better, but that when you add what we do to people who are inherently long growth and, and economic stability in a portfolio, they're going to get better portfolio outcomes over long, the long haul. Mm. And that's really what investors need to think about. So the oil example is a great example. Right, oil has collapsed in the last six months, as 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 fast and as furiously as we, perhaps we've ever seen. And you see a lot of headlines about how terrible this is, and you've seen a lot of days where the stock market goes down. And the explanation is, well, you know, investors are worried about collapsing oil prices, and you see people, you know, grimacing and, and worried about this. What if they all had in their portfolio something like, for example, our flagship that thrives? when oil prices move down as sharply as they have. Um, you have a suddenly a very different perspective. Your portfolio is suddenly more stabilized. It's suddenly not hurting you as much. You know, the last couple days when this, for example, in January, when the U.S. stock market's really royal, our flagship was positive in those days. Sure. And people, you know, people who don't understand what we do say, well, how did you make money in the last two days? Well, we have another trade on and it's, it's the oil trade. And Oil has continued to plummet and all the energy products have plummeted with it. And we have positions there, short positions that are able to make profits, which in the last couple of days have offset you know, losses we've incurred uh, in the stock market in some of our long positions. And that's balance. That's yin and yang. That's putting complementary things together. And that's the, that's the value we can add and that people need to understand. Sure. You can have something in your portfolio uh, that is different. You should. You need to. Because if everything in your portfolio is making money at the same time, then it's very likely that it's going to lose money. Everything in your portfolio is going to lose money at the same time during those crisis periods. That's not a good place to be. It feels great when the market's booming. It feels terrible when we're in a 2008 scenario or a Q3 2011 scenario or even mid-October of 2014. That was not a fun time to be uh, a long, you know a buy and hold, long only stock and bond investor. Sure. Um, so the value we add is, you know, diversifying portfolios, putting shock absorbers on portfolios when they need them most and giving people a better long term value. That is better overall portfolio returns and lower overall portfolio volatility over the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. Now, in terms of the year, did you see any major changes on your side? It could be products. It could be people. It could be research findings. From a, from internally, from a business perspective, um, you know, I wouldn't say we had any major changes here. As I mentioned, we made some micro adjustments as we always sure. do, sure. learned from the markets, and we saw some things. 
And I think our systems are better today than they were 12 months ago, for sure, sure. because of those you know, various micro adjustments. So, but that's, that's a given. That's something we're always doing. And any good systematic manager, I assume, is always doing is always looking for ways to enhance. But, you know, it's, what I saw, I think the biggest theme for last year was I got a sense of hope returning to the quantitative macro space. Um, one, because volatility returned to markets in a way that was suddenly compliant with how a lot of us trade. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good thing. And good returns yield happy investors and happy investors, um, you know, make it easier to do your business. And so there, you just sensed a pep in everyone's step. Um, certainly we had a lot of pep in our step. We had a very good 2013 and to be able to follow it with a good 2014 made it even better for us. Sure. But, you know, there was just generally a, a good feeling about it. And the phone started to ring a little. Um, you know, the media inquiries started to pick up towards the end of the year. Suddenly you started to see people talking about macro again, talking yeah. about managed futures, talking about quants. Um, and so that's, that can only help a business like ours. Um, and that was great. And that gave us the confidence to, to do some things to, uh, for example, launch our ETF as we did in July to, um, expand our, our activities in Japan, a market we've opened up in the last um, year and a half where we've just recently launched a fund to bring on um, some new talent on our team, sure. et cetera. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think money's going to come rushing into the quant space anytime soon. Uh, I think there's a lot of skeptical people out there who have kind of been watching it for five years and, and want to watch it a little more. But it's a definitely a different feeling as we head into 2015 than we've had in, in at least five years. And so... That's very positive for us as a business. It's very positive for us as an industry, and and let's hope it continues. Sure, I I noticed uh, that Morgan Stanley released a report uh, about a month ago where they were looking back at their annual survey, and and apparently at the end of December 2013, only two percent of the people they asked predicted that CTAs would be the best performing strategy in 2014. So. With that in mind, I think we can be sure that that many people or many many investors probably are underinvested in 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 this space. Now, we've seen now a great year, and CTAs for 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 sure were the best performing strategy by by a mile compared to other hedge fund strategies. We saw the same picture after two thousand and eight, and we saw a big rush of investors into the strategy in two thousand and nine and early two thousand and ten. And we both know how that ended. It ended with people be becoming disappointed and redeeming at probably the worst time um, ever. So how do we avoid 2015 being a repeat of that? What have we learned as an industry, as managers, in managing this, do you think? You know, that's that's a really important question. And I don't know know the answer, but, but here are my thoughts. Sure. Um, I think the thing that gives me the most hope is that 2015 is very different than 2009. Um, The the challenge in 2009 was that, yes, managed futures, quant macro, you know, really did did itself a great service and proved its value. It was the only asset class really, or, or if you want to call it an asset class, the only sector of kind of the, quote, hedge fund industry that was profitable in 2008. And that was great. And people recognized that and lauded it. The money did come in because of that. But there were other things going on in 08 that were much bigger than our, our little neck of the woods in, in alternative investing. You had 
the, the economic collapse that we saw, the, the credit crisis, you saw the complete dislocation of huge sectors of the economy, the real estate sector, um, you know, the lending sector. You saw on the heels of that, the Madoff scandal, which to me was even was probably the most damaging event of 2008 of right. all the bad things that happened that year. Sure. Because what that did was erode investor trust in all asset managers in a way that it had never been eroded. Sure. And, and frankly, that I think uh, caused some permanent changes in how investors look at managers. Sure. Um, so when 09 came around, while yes, there was a lot of good vibes about what we do and there were certainly some allocations to our space, it was a very cautious kind of move towards our space. Uh, people were, were gun shy. People were in shock. A lot of people were just pulling all their money into cash and to this day are still sitting in cash. Um, people suddenly looked at asset managers much differently. The days of kind of investing in anything that seemed remotely questionable or had any kind of scent of being unknowable, uh, you know, were over and that yeah. people were only going to invest in the things that they were 100% sure were solid, safe, not fraud, etc. I, I like to say to people, post-08, post-Madoff, managers like us are presumed frauds. Right. Whereas pre-08, the presumption was the exact opposite. Sure. And so, it, so 09, what happened, you know, certainly the underperformance of quant macro post-08 didn't help things. But to me, the real problem was that investors have still are just starting to get comfortable after mm. that crisis. Mm. They're just starting to get comfortable with taking risk and they're just starting to get comfortable with allocating to outside managers again. And so um, 09, 010, what happened there was 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 inevitable. Uh, sure. Whether CTAs performed well or not, I think the fact that a bunch of money rushed in and then and it kind of petered out was was inevitable. I think this is a different environment. I think 2015 is a very different environment. I, I think um, now we're far enough removed from the 08 crisis that I, th I think people are starting to get comfortable taking real risk again mm. and, 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 make, and building balanced portfolios and stretching their portfolios into some areas where perhaps they uh, are less comfortable because they want to diversify, because they want to deal with the fact that the S&P has been in a tremendous bull run for five years and they're worried about it collapsing. Um, so I actually think 15, 16 could be very, very good years for our industry. Um, and, and it'll be a much more durable, a much more um, stable rebuild of the assets in this industry than we, than we saw in 09, which I think was fleeting just because of the environment around it. Sure. No, I, I, I mean, I agree with that. But I think maybe also we as managers, uh, maybe we need to be a little bit more selective with the clients that we uh, want to do business with. I mean, it's, it goes both ways, I guess. Oh, for um, certain. Yeah. For certain. Oh, a lot of it's uncommon. Look, the, the biggest lessons from 08 were, as, a, as an asset management firm, whether you made money that year or lost money, was you got to do your business differently and you have to do it better and you have to be smarter going forward. Sure. It was, it was the shake-up and the wake-up that our industry needed. Sure. Uh, for sure. It, it wasn't fun. I, I wouldn't wish it on us again. And if I could go back, obviously, I'd, I'd wish it never happened because so many people were hurt in it. But I think it's, it certainly made my business better. I mm. can guarantee you that. I mm. think we're smarter. I think we're more nimble. I think we're more responsive to clients. I think we're more in touch with the needs that clients have in terms of fees, in terms of liquidity, in terms of transparency. And as you mentioned, we're more selective. 
Yeah. Definitely more selective. Sure. Um, we make sure that we are bringing in investors that are a match for what we do psychologically, from a risk tolerance perspective, from a from a financial you know security and stability perspective. Um, we don't want to be the basket in which one puts all their eggs. Sure. It's not smart. Sure. We want to be part of a well-balanced portfolio, whether you're investing in our flagship evolution or you're investing in our equity product or our equity bond product or our ETF or anything else we come up with. You know, we're a complement. We don't have a monopoly on all wisdom in investing. You know, a good portfolio is a, is a balanced portfolio. I think the challenge for Niels, for guys like you and I, Niels, is that that's the thing we need to convey is people tend to look at managed futures on an absolute basis or CTAs on an absolute basis. Oh, they're great. Let's pour out, let's pour a lot of money in. Oh, they're terrible. Let's run for the hills. <laughs> that mentality doesn't help anyone. Sure. The bottom line is if you have managed futures type strategies in your portfolio at some reasonable level at all times, your portfolio is going to perform better. Even during periods, extended periods where managed futures doesn't do much. Because when you need it most, it tends to deliver. Q3 2011 is a great example. People have forgotten what happened in Q3 2011. That was the fourth worst quarterly drop for the S&P since 1980. Mm. And our industry, I believe on average, was up four and change. I know our flagship was up about 7% during that quarter. So even in the midst of what was a, a subpar run for our industry and a subpar run for our flagship for sure, that quarter, we did our job. Sure. We did our job. And as a result, the investors' portfolios were, were better off. And yeah. that's what people need to focus on, not this kind of throw everything, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Managed futures is either good or bad. And I'm either going to invest when it's good and I'm going to sell it when it's bad. As you mentioned, it, it, investors end up making the absolute worst decisions at the worst possible time. Yeah. Uh, and if we can help them get out of that paradigm of thinking, I think we'll all be better off. Yeah. I have a final question for you, Jason. But before I, I, I ask you that, I want to kind of, um, I just want to comment on what you said about, you know, 15 and 16, where you believe that it could be a more stable and more positive period for, for these kind of strategies. And I think what's interesting to note, because many people listen more to the people who are uh, often quoted in the media and, and who come from the maybe the other side of, of this uh, industry. Uh, and, and, and I noted the other day that uh, someone like Mohammed Alarian, who everybody seems to, to respect for good reason, that he mentioned that if he could sum up the, the, you know, the world as it is now, in one word, it would be divergence. And, and I think what the lessons that people are becoming more aware of at least is that these strategies in particular unlike most other hedge fund strategies or alternative strategies they do perform well in a divergent world while most of the traditional hedge fund strategies prefer to be in a in, in a convergent environment so you know i think that definitely um spells well for for what's to come um but i promise you i agree, you, yeah. I agree and i welcome yeah. comments like yeah. Mohammed's, um, because I think they're educational. Again, we're not of the mind that one person could possibly know what's going to happen in the future. As you mentioned, two percent of people thought that managed futures would be the best strategies last year, and lo and behold, guess what? The best strategies were in 2014: managed futures. Absolutely. So, 98 percent of the people were wrong. Sure. Um, but that being said, you know he's right. Uh, you know we are seeing more divergence in markets, um, and it's it's you know it's neither a good thing nor a bad thing. It just is. 
And more important, and I would say, actually, I would just add to that, Jason, it's not just in the markets we're seeing divergence. We're seeing divergence in politics. We're seeing divergence in what central banks do. This is the first time for a long time where they're publicly saying, we're not going to be doing the same thing as, as the other yep. guys. We're actually doing our own thing. And, I, and that creates, I think, a more sustainable argument for why markets will then become divergent. Absolutely. And it creates a compelling case for better diversification in your portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Abenomics is, is going, you're right. Abenomics is going forward regardless of what a lot of other countries are doing. Oh, yeah. Sure. We, we've been over there six times in the last year. We, we've talked to people in the know, you know, politicians yeah. and business people. Yeah. They're doing their own thing now. We're kind of out of this crazy, you know, crisis where all the world leaders kind of came together and had, you know, one common goal, which was basically avoid collapse you know, uh, delever books and try and stabilize things. Now we're in a different different era. Yeah. And so Japan's going to do its thing. The U.S. economy is kind of following its own trajectory. Europe has its own set of problems. Russia, obviously, is in a terrible way right now, and, and that's causing a lot of problems. So you need to have more markets, more techniques, more time frames, more geographies, more sectors in your portfolio, not less. Yeah. And the way you can cost effectively achieve that kind of diversification rapidly is by adding managers to your portfolio like Sunrise, like your firm, like others that, you know, take this kind of broad tactical view and invest across the spectrum. Um, you know, having just U.S. equities in your portfolio was a good decision for the last five years to some degree. But, you know, it's a little nerve wracking in months like we just saw in October or even a few of the days we saw early Earlier this month in January, um, you need to have you need to be prepared for that divergence, as Mohammed mentioned, and as as, as you you know wisely referenced, sure. no question. And the way to do that is with a more diversified portfolio that can make money in different ways. Absolutely. Final question, Jason, for today at least, and that is, if you could make a wish for the new year, what would that be? Well, certainly on a personal level, um, all of us here at Sunrise. You know, some of the some of the things we're seeing as part of this global divergence that you mentioned are just awful. Um, the, the events in Paris yesterday are a great example. Um, you know, that needs to stop. And if there, I don't know what what has to happen to make that kind of thing stop, um, where people can you know be free to you know draw a cartoon and not worry about getting massacred. Um, but obviously, our, our our paramount wish is for for that kind of instability, the, the violent extremist instability to go away. Uh, that's just good for no one. Even if you end, even if that end up, ends up causing a market event that's profitable, what's the point? What's the point if humanity suffers like that? It's, it's absurd. Um, so, uh, you know, certainly on, on, on the, the map, the, the broadest possible level, we would like that stuff to end if, sure. it, it, if we could wave a magic wand. On a more business level, you know, I think I'd like to see investors just continue to get more comfortable with diversifying, more comfortable with new ideas, more comfortable with embracing the kind of concepts that managers like us have for 35 years proven work. Um, you know, we're, we're far enough away from 08, as I mentioned, that I think the panic is over. Um, and I think people can start to breathe again and get comfortable. And, you know, I'm hoping that they'll build their portfolio smarter this time around. Um, they won't have all their eggs in one or two baskets. They will diversify. They will get comfortable with having a portfolio in which some things don't make money when other things are making money. That's the sign of a healthy portfolio. 
So, you know, my, my broader wish business-wise is that, you know, people just continue to embrace new ideas, alternative ways of investing, open their minds up, and hopefully build more bellwether stable portfolios going forward so that even if an 08-type event hits us, people don't get hurt as much. Sure. No, that's a, a good way to end it. So, unfortunately, our our time is up for this uh, short episode, but I, I want to thank you again for, for being on the podcast, for sharing your insights and I wish you and, and your firm all the best for the coming year. And I look forward to catching up uh, later in 2015. Niels, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for all you're doing for the industry, for this great podcast. And we wish you the exact same. A wonderful new year, healthy and prosperous to you, your firm, and all those, uh, all those listening. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.